1: The following program contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, hey, you're going to die and go to hell.
2: I'm going to stop my Stand for 911. We're for emergency? Oh, this is Andy. You're pretty one look. look. the road
0: the oh, problem? Senator, please! Senator, And he goes, don't be a hero, mate. And I said, I'm not trying to be a
1: hero, but the police are coming. One in the chest, one in the hip. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. I would have nailed Carl Williams to a committal. and just of his, his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little cherub face, cherub face little boy who, 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 who's, who's alive
2: with me. I'd harm someone each time. i
1: kill someone to be an enormous amount of, uh, of, especially at first, an enormous amount of, of, of horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then
2: that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger. Hi, I'm Barney Black.
1: And I'm Tara Saravan. <laughs>
2: and this is Bloody Murder.
1: We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia.
2: And indeed around the globe.
1: What will you be talking about this week, Barney?
2: Justin Cox had always had a problem managing his anger. A devastating life change mixed with alcohol and a misguided belief a pedophile was living next door drove him to murder a possibly innocent man.
1: Ooh, okay, that sounds like a lot to unpack.
2: Yeah, it's not going to end up well for anyone.
1: Really? There's a murder in it?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? How-
1: You're going dark this week.
2: I know. How about t- you, Tara? What have you got for us?
1: <laughs> Charles Howard Schmidt was a triple murderer and an attention whore. He was an adult who liked hanging out with teenagers because anyone older than that realized that he was just a creep.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a real douche canoe. Oh,
1: my God, you don't know the half of it. Hmm. And there's, there's a lot of it. Now, of course, this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. If you'd like to become a patron, you can go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com.
2: Okay, let's get murdery.
1: Charles Howard Schmidt Jr. was born to an unwed mother on July 8, 1942. As was common in this situation at the time, he was given up for adoption. Charles and Catherine Schmidt, who ran the Hillcrest Nursing Home in Tucson, Arizona, were unable to have children and adopted him as a baby. They were so into having the baby boy that Charles Sr. even gave him his name. As Charles Jr. grew up, the two Charleses didn't get along well, and Charles Jr. started going by the name Smitty in his teens. Also, his mother sort of overcompensated by always bailing him out of problems. So he wasn't unloved.
2: Oh, Smitty, what have you done this time?
1: (laughs) Well, I don't think she had any idea. Smitty was an only child and a precocious one at that. He spent his childhood around Hillcrest getting up to shenanigans and indulging in tomfoolery.
2: Ah, rambunctious behaviour, hey?
1: Very much so. His parents worked a lot, which meant that he was often unsupervised and free to get up to mischief. At primary school, he was far more interested in getting attention than learning anything. In high school, he was an outstanding gymnast who led the school to the State Gymnastics Championship, but he gave it up in his senior year. Grades-wise, he was always on the verge of failing. The kid wasn't interested in applying himself to anything other than his rampant quest for adoration. By the time he was 16, he was living in his own place on his parents' property, He frequently threw parties where people listened to his beloved Elvis Presley records, drank beer and made out.
2: Hey, sit on it, Potsy. That's
1: it. His parents indulge his request for a new car and a motorbike, but the ingredients for this narcissistic psychopath recipe wouldn't be complete without them giving him an excessive allowance of $300 a month. Now, that equates to $2,500 today.
2: Whoa, that's a lot of burgers at Arnold's Diner. It's
1: a lot of strawberry milkshakes. It is. With no rent to pay and getting his money for nothing and his chicks for free, why would Smitty ever bother trying to do something boring like studying or getting a job? Just before graduating, Smitty stole some tools from the machine shop and was suspended. He still could have gone on to graduate, but he didn't see the point saying, I quit out of boredom. Although he dropped out, Smitty never really left the school. He'd hang around waiting to pick up kids in his sweet ride and drive them around, combing his greasy hair and looking cool. Well, as cool as you can look when you're in your 20s and hanging out with high school kids.
2: Yeah, that's creepy.
1: Mm, Don't you think? With his disposable income, cool car and party pad, Smitty became the king of the kids. He hung out at all the teenage hotspots along Speedway, like the bowling alley, the drive-in movies, burger joints and the public swimming pool. He also liked to drive fast and show off for the young girls who were still impressed by that sort of shit. Sweet. Obsessed with Elvis Presley, Smitty dyed his reddish-brown hair black and wore it heavily greased and slicked back. He also stretched his lower lip with a clothespin to try and make it more Elvis-like.
2: Oh, uh, that's what Billy Idol did, I think.
1: Oh, uh, he used a monkey wrench. He darkened his face to a deep tan by covering it with pancake makeup and he applied his chapstick so thickly that it made his lips look white. To complete the look, he drew a large mole on his left cheek. Now, he thought it made him look tough, but it actually made him look more like a syphilitic scarlet pimpernel. Ugh. (laughs) You're not into that?
2: No, he's into full clown, is he?
1: Yeah, pretty much. But the most bizarre thing, because we haven't had it yet. Really?
2: It mm, It gets more bizarre? It
1: does get more bizarre, or I probably wouldn't be talking about it. The most bizarre thing was his boots. They were long and black and laced up the back with a high Cuban heel and pointed toes. They were meant to disguise the fact that Smitty was only about five foot three in height. He'd stuffed the boots with rags, cardboard and squashed tin cans to make himself look taller, which gave him a strange sort of lead-footed gait. Ooh. I know, freak show. How right? many more
2: inches would that give him? Maybe three or four? It's well, yeah, short. but how
1: uncomfortable would that be? I can't no. stand it if I have a pebble in my shoe.
2: Well, you would, wouldn't like a pee under your mattress, would you? No,
1: I wouldn't. <laughs> no, I wouldn't unless I'd put it there myself. Oh, well,
2: I peed under your mattress multiple times.
1: You haven't. Every time you're that at you my house of. when you leave, I sniff under the mattress just in case.
2: Oh, yeah, that's my silent wee. It's like you can't smell it.
1: How does that make it silent?
2: Well, it's silent and and, deadly. It's olfactory. No, not deadly.
1: It's olfactory silence?
2: I don't know where I was going with this. I probably should stop now.
1: To complete the look, Smitty chewed on a toothpick. He's so dreamy. Oh, my God. Look at his brown, weird orange face. (laughs) (laughs) He kind of looked like a melted young Mel Gibson.
2: I've seen the photos, and that's fake (laughs) mole. Oh, my God.
1: It does look real at all it's almost like you know the size of like a fingernail it's huge happy to lie to gain entry to girls pants smitty would brag that he knew a hundred ways to make love hey baby
2: hey baby I know a hundred Different ways To make love
1: He'd say that He sold drugs And that he was A hell's angel Sometimes he'd Pretend that he Had a life Threatening illness And didn't have Long to live So baby You gotta give It up for me He also carried Salt in his Pockets that he'd Rub in his eyes To make girls Think that he was Crying at times He's such a Dreamy sensitive Guy Oh these are
2: all Good ideas
1: Yeah are you Taking notes I am (laughs) Good to know At least if I ever Go anywhere with you and something I'm eating isn't salty enough. I'll know where to find some.
2: In my pockets, right?
1: He also liked to impress chicks with his vocabulary by saying wanker shit like, I can manifest my neurotical emotions, emancipate an epicureal instinct, and elaborate on my heterosexual tendencies. Apparently misusing words is how you got laid in the late 50s and early 60s, for he had no lack of young girls fawning over him.
2: Well, all you have to do these days is just say,
1: hey, baby. (laughs) Shit in the pocket. Oh, and they just form a fucking line to the left, don't they?
2: Uh Oh, yes, Tara.
1: What seemed to attract young people to Smitty the most, though, was his freedom. He did whatever the hell he wanted, whenever the hell he wanted to. He seemed to them like more interesting than anyone else in their lives, and they followed his lead, which is how he got the nickname the Pied Piper of Tucson. Some of the older kids, like the ones who had jobs and some life experience, thought that Smitty was a carnival show creep. But to the young people, he was some kind of folk hero. When Smitty was 21, he learnt that he was adopted. His foster mother gave him the name of his real mother. Now, when he located her, he said that she told him, I didn't want you when you were born or even before you were born and I don't want you now. Get out! Before slamming the door in his face. This event seemed to affect him, but he kept his feelings mostly to himself. Fifteen-year-old Aileen Rowe was a good student who wanted to go to college and become an oceanographer. She and her mother had moved to Tucson a year earlier after her parents had gotten divorced. Blonde, blue-eyed and pretty, she had the misfortune of attracting Smitty's greasy gaze. The hobbling creeper loved blondes. If a girl he was seeing wasn't a blonde, he'd bleach their hair so they were more to his liking. I'd like to see someone try that on me. Aileen had recently become friends with 19-year-old Mary French, who was a girlfriend of Smitty's. Mary didn't do well at high school, and eventually she just stopped going. Mary was often described in the reading I did as being frumpy. Like, frumpy is the worst thing you can be. The fact that she was an asshole with no empathy didn't get said at all. I guess being an asshole wasn't considered as bad as being frumpy. A friend remembers Mary as being fantastically in love with Smitty. She just sat home and waited while he went out with other girls. Well, that sounds nice, doesn't it? It really does. One afternoon, Smitty told Mary to try to persuade Aileen to go out with his friend John Saunders, but Aileen turned down the invitation. John Saunders was an asthmatic, gawky boy with poor eyesight who was picked on and bullied by larger children when he was in school. Rather than learning that people's judgments say more about them than they did him, he instead bullied those who were smaller than him. So, like, you know, kind of a dick. On the night of May 31st, 1964, Smitty arrived at Mary's house with John at his side, as he always was. Earlier, Smitty had been talking about wanting to kill a girl. He said he wanted to find out what it would be like to snuff out a life, and he reckoned that he could get away with it. Rather than trying to dissuade him, frumpy Mary frumpily complained that she'd tried to get Aileen to come out, but she'd refused.
2: Mm, Hell no. Good girl, Aileen.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, but nag p- pester power. Mm. Yeah. After getting married to nag her some more, Aileen relented, but she said she'd have to wait until her mother went to work that night. After watching The Beatles on TV, Aileen took a bath, washed her hair and kissed her mother goodnight. A short time later, Norma Rowe checked on her daughter and found her seemingly sleeping peacefully. She then left for her job as a night nurse in a Tucson hospital. Later that night, Smitty, John and Mary drove to Aileen's house. Mary went over and tapped on her bedroom window. Aileen came out with curlers in her hair, wearing a yellow checkered dress over a bathing suit and carrying her shoes in her hands. They drove out to the desert where kids like to drink and make out. The four of them walked further into the desert and found a place where they could sit and talk. At some point, Smitty instructed Mary to go back to the car and get a radio. Frumpy Mary Frumpy fucking horrible asshole with no empathy She waddled back on her fucking asshole frump legs (laughs) Smitty went with her and soon afterwards they heard Aileen scream Uh. Smitty told Mary to get into the car while he ran back to where they'd been He found John struggling to overpower Aileen Smitty told him to put his hand over her mouth to muffle her screams Then Smitty tied her arms behind her back with a guitar cord. Through tears, Aileen asked why they were doing this to her. Smitty told her, Mary wants us to. She hates you. Like Mary ever had a fucking thought in her head one day in her life. Smitty told John to remove Aileen's bathing suit, but John had trouble getting it over her arms as they were tied. Smitty untied her and put her dress on the ground and told her to lie on it. Crying hysterically, Aileen obeyed. Smitty told John to take a walk. After a while, Smitty called for him to come back. When John returned, Aileen was putting her bathing suit back on. Smitty picked up a large rock with a pointed edge and handed it to John. He gave it back to Smitty, unable to go through with their plan. Smitty insisted that John go back to the car and get Mary, but she refused to come. When John got back, he saw Aileen lying on her back on the ground, her face and head covered in blood. Smitty went to the car, kissed Mary and said, We killed her. I love you very much. Mary noticed that he was breathing really hard and seemed excited. Guess he had a post-rape and murder glow about him. Yeah. Smitty got a shovel from the trunk of the car and they all returned to where Aileen's body had been left. Using the shovel and their hands, the three losers dug a shallow grave and put Aileen's body, dress and curlers into it before covering it with sand. Then they went back to the car and wiped it clean of prints. They made up a story that Aileen had agreed to go out with John that evening, but when they'd come by to pick her up, she hadn't been home. The guys dropped Mary off at home and went on their way. The next day, Aileen's mother, Norma, tried in vain to find her daughter and finally called the police. Mary, Smitty and John were questioned, but they stuck to the story they'd concocted. In Tucson at the time, 50 runaways were reported to the police every month, so of course they decided Aileen was simply one of them. In the year that followed, Norma Rowe contacted the police about her missing daughter frequently, but they had never made any progress on the case. In an effort for someone to take Aileen's disappearance seriously, she even wrote the State Attorney General, the FBI and the US Department of Health, Education and Welfare. But the heartbroken and frantic woman never received the assistance she was hoping for.
2: Oh, poor Norma. She must have been going through hell.
1: Oh, I know. Also, she'd only been divorced for a while and been in the area for a year and starting a new life. And Aileen's doing well at school and she's a great kid and... Gone. Where is she? Where is she? I, I bet Norma couldn't think of anything else the whole time.
2: Well, keep going. I want to know if they find her.
1: John Saunders left Tucson to join the Navy soon afterwards and was replaced by a guy named Richie Bruns as Smitty's BFF. Richie admired Smitty so much, he thought of him as being closer than a brother and began to imitate the way he dressed. Oh, dear God, no. Richie was a high school dropout, because anyone who's friends with Smitty has to be shit at school. Uh, He'd served two terms in juvenile detention at Fort Grant. All the girls that he'd dated had actually dumped him because he was a bit freakily obsessive. Richie and Smitty hung out all the time. Smitty even told him that he'd murdered Aileen Rowe, but Richie thought it was just another one of Smitty's over-the-top stories. Ah, Smitty, you card. Around this time, Smitty had a genius idea. He went out and bought two fake diamond rings and then proposed marriage on the same day to both Frumpy Mary and a 15-year-old girl named Kathy Morath. His plan, right, was to get them to find jobs and have them deposit their salaries in a bank account held jointly in his name so that he could then spend the money that they earned.
2: Well, it's a solid plan, I guess.
1: Yeah, because, like, the money he has isn't enough for Mm. some reason. You know what? Pancake makeup. Not free No, it's not No, it's not
2: No, you have to draw that mole on every day Oh,
1: I know, eyeliner, I mean, it's yeah. costly Anyway, Frumpy Mary actually did do that She, like, started working for his parents in the old people's home And put the salary in the account and he just spent it all Good times Frumpy Mary, why are you so frumpy? Grow a brain Decided frumpy means stupid <laughs> don't know if I'm right In July of 1965, Smitty noticed a slim, blonde 16-year-old girl at a swimming pool. Her name was Gretchen Fritz. The day he saw her, he followed her home and found that she lived in a fancy house in an upper-class neighbourhood. Her father was a doctor and a board member of the union bank. Gretchen was a rebellious rich girl who cut classes and got expelled from her private school for attempting to rob a liquor store. Smitty met her by going up to her house with a load of pots and pans and pretending he was a travelling salesman. He later confessed that it was all a ruse that he'd concocted in order to meet her. She was suitably impressed. Get out of here, you fucking gross-ass stalker! Is not what she said. (laughs) Gretchen and Smitty started hanging out together as a couple, even though Smitty was still engaged to Mary and Kathy. Kathy eventually gave the ring back. It took the 15-year-old to, like, you know, (laughs) figure this shit out. Yeah,
2: that's a wise decision, Kathy. Yeah, good one. Ah.
1: Of their relationship, Richie said he and Gretchen were always fighting. First, she'd get suspicious of him. Then he'd get suspicious of her. They were made for each other. Their mutual jealousy led to some regular intense arguments. Once Gretchen was driving past Smitty's house and she saw him with some other girls, she jumped out of her car and began screaming at him. A pillar of maturity as always, Smitty took off running as fast as his fucking hobbled boots could take him through the house, out the back, and climbed a tree in his yard to try and get away from her. Tired of the arguments and the fact that Gretchen did not get along well with his BFF Richie, Smitty decided to break up with her. He tried several times, but she wasn't having it. Not only had Smitty told her about murdering Aileen Rowe, but she'd also stolen his diary, which contained a description of killing a 16-year-old boy and burying him in the desert. Gretchen was threatening to tell her father about these murders, and that freaked Smitty out. When Gretchen heard about Smitty's engagement to Mary, she was furious – Soon afterwards, Mary claimed to be pregnant with Smitty's baby and demanded that he marry her and be a proper father. Ooh, drama. Well, not to be outdone, Gretchen claimed to be pregnant too and wanted to know what Smitty planned to do about it.
2: Awesome. This is getting juicy mm, now. Yeah,
1: double pregnant. On the evening of August 16, 1965, Gretchen left her house at 7.30pm with her 13-year-old sister, Wendy, to go see the Elvis Presley movie Tickle Me. When they didn't come home, Dr Fritz reported it to the police and hired a private detective named William Helig. He found Gretchen's red and white Pontiac parked behind the Flamingo Hotel near Speedway. Gretchen's purse was in it with $20, ticket stubs from the movie, her keys and Smitty's business card from a failed upholstery business that he'd started. And by starting a business, I mean he made business cards.
2: Oh, really? His upholstery business didn't do well?
1: Well, I mean, if, all you, if all you do is make business cards and then no work, your business kind of tends to flail a little yeah, bit. Yeah. However, no one had seen the car being parked and Helig found no other leads that turned up any trace of the Fritz sisters. About a week after Gretchen and Wendy disappeared, Smitty told Richie that he'd strangled them both at his house, carried their bodies in the boot of the car and left them out in an obvious place because he just didn't care anymore. But um, then he asked Richie to help him go bury the bodies to make sure no one would find them. Richie, still not taking him seriously, accompanied Smitty to one of his former drinking spots. Smitty grabbed a shovel and walked around. Richie could tell from the smell that there was something dead out there. He went to where Smitty was kneeling over a black lump lying out in the open. Smitty said it was Gretchen. Her body was badly decomposed and her legs had been tied together. Her sister Wendy was nearby, but all Richie could see was a black heap with part of a leg and foot sticking up out of the sand. Reluctantly, Richie helped bury Gretchen, but they left Wendy's corpse where it lay. Smitty told Richie that he was now in it just as deep as he was. Around this time, Smitty started dating a petite 15-year-old girl named Diane Lynch, who weighed all of 87 pounds. On their first date, Smitty asked her to marry him, and she said, Okay. Smitty took to wearing a Band-Aid on his nose, claiming he'd broken it.
2: Because he thought it looked cool. I've seen photos of this and it's not a band-aid like, that goes horizontally not across like his, his nose. Not like if you actually broke it's his nose. It actually goes vertically down the bridge <laughs> of his nose. It looks really stupid.
1: He wore it for five months.
2: <laughs> really? <laughs> yes.
1: Oh, wow. Just to look cute. Well, if you're going to paint on a big mole, you may as well put a stupid band-aid on your nose. I mean, oh, there's no end point. He was still wearing it, along with his makeup and fake mole, when he married Diane on October twenty fourth, nineteen sixty five. After realizing Smitty was a murderer, his BFF Richie couldn't shake the idea that a girl he liked, Kathy Morath, who was actually Smitty's ex fiance, was going to be next on his hit list. Richie began to patrol her house in an effort to protect her. He hung out at the front at all hours, even hiding in trash cans, until people began to be scared of him.
2: Like Oscar the Grouch.
1: Yeah, but like more protective. Ah. When authorities told Richie he couldn't loiter around like that, he got his dog and walked it up and down the block outside her house. This led to him eventually being arrested for harassing her family. The judge took pity on poor Richie and said that he wouldn't send him to jail if he'd agree to leave town for a while. Richie agreed and went to Ohio to stay with his grandmother. Not long afterwards, he broke down and confessed everything. Because Richie seems a little bit better than most of Smitty's mates. He told the police about John Saunders and Mary French being involved in Aileen's murder as well. The Tucson police flew him back to show them the location of the bodies, which is how they found the skeletal remains of the Fritz sisters. The police arrested Smitty, who protested his innocence. When he was being booked for the two murders, they asked him to remove his special boots. He argued with them and tried to keep them on, but the police insisted. When he finally took them off, he was quite a few inches shorter. Press photographers crowded around trying to get a picture, so he sat down to hide his petite stature. The contents of his stuffed boots filled two shoe boxes with folded up rags, flattened beer cans, and pieces of cardboard. <laughs> Maybe he's such a horrible fuck because he's walking around on uneven surfaces like this. Uh. Uneven surfaces like this. I get pissed if I have a pebble in my shoe. Smitty was held without bail. Mary French and John Saunders, yep, French and Saunders, confessed to their roles in the murder of Aileen Rowe. They initially couldn't locate Aileen's body, but they found her eventually.
2: That would have been great closure for Norma. Yeah, her I mean obviously yeah. not obviously something awful, that she but yeah. yeah,
1: it's it's definitely better to um hmm, to, to know. not just have her out there somewhere.
2: Yeah, and to know what happened to her.
1: Yeah, even though I don't know how you'd take that. You know. mm,
2: like I can't imagine.
1: John was sentenced a week later to life in prison, eligible for parole in seven years. Mary was charged as an accessory to murder and with concealing and compounding a felony. Uh, she'd be eligible for parole in five years.
2: She went to frumpy prison?
1: She went to frumpy prison for all the asshole frumpy frump frumps with no empathy frump. Smitty received the death penalty for the murders of Gretchen and Wendy Fritz and 50 years to life for the murder of Aileen Rowe. Nobody was able to find any evidence of the boy that he said he killed in the desert, but the desert is a pretty big place. It is. Smitty was in the Arizona penitentiary when he attempted to escape by hiding inside a hollowed-out exercise horse. (laughs) Yeah, well, he'd fit in one. He could, like, hide himself in a stapler. He was found before he succeeded. His next escape involved a fake suicide, which also didn't work out. In 1971, the state of Arizona temporarily abolished the death penalty. But Smitty was still going to be in prison for 50 years. So he tried another escape and he succeeded this time. Oh. But.
2: But. Mm, Well, yeah. He was.
1: Yeah, fuck. But he was spotted by a railroad worker who'd gone to school with him and who noticed him because of a ridiculous yellow wig he'd put on as a disguise, which there are pictures of and I will put them on our Facebook page and on our Instagram because you're just like, why would you do that? He probably would have got away otherwise. But, I mean, I'm glad he got caught because I hate him. Back in prison, Smitty strutted around as if he was superior to the other prisoners. But since they weren't 15-year-old girls... They weren't really a fan of his attitude In fact, two of them gave him a good old shivving for it He was found stabbed 20 times in the face and chest And lying in a pool of blood One of his eyes had to be removed He also had a wound in the right chest That didn't respond to surgery And he was pronounced dead on March 30th,
2: 1975
1: Whoa So it did have a happy ending
2: Sort of (laughs) Well, not for Smitty. Oh,
1: who cares about Smitty? I so certainly don't.
2: Stabbed him in the eye, hey, and he was in a swimming pool of blood.
1: Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. The whole time, by the way, his mum was like, "No, it's, it's it's he didn't do any of it," and they, his folks went bankrupt with all the like legal costs. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, King of the kids. Apparently, that's kids. what you do.
2: Sounds like an ass. Yeah.
1: Oh. Yeah. Really. Um. Different. <laughs> but not in a good way. Sir Bonnie, what time is it?
2: It's true crime, nerd time. True crime, nerd time. True crime, nerd time.
0: True crime, nerd time. I love true crime.
2: True Crime Nerd Time is an opportunity for you, our listeners, to give us your recommendations for anything true crime related. It can be a book, movie, TV series, graphic novel, song, or just about anything that has scratched your true crime itch. Are you itchy, Tara? Because it's about 100 degrees here. It's 105 degrees here, which is what, 37 degrees, 38 yeah,
1: degrees? Yeah, 38 today for
2: yeah, it's getting Aussie a bit, temp. It's getting a bit sweaty. You can record your voice. Just do it on your phone. We'll play it. Or write it and we'll read it out. So, Tara, this is actually fake crime nerd time.
1: In that it's somewhat based on a true crime, but it is in fact a work of fiction.
2: That's right. This is from Danielle Mayday and she writes Hey guys, I love true crime, especially when it comes to Charles Manson, just because how he got all the people just to follow him and do his bidding. So naturally when I saw a movie called Manson Family Vacation... Oh,
1: starring Chevy Chase.
2: I was intrigued. Yeah, Beverly D'Angelo's in it as well.
1: Yeah, she shows her knockers.
2: (laughs) It's about this lawyer whose brother comes to visit him in California. Now this brother is kind of scraggly looking, prefers to sleep out in a tent at his brother's house. Kind of weird. So they decide to go out and see the city and the brother wants to go see the Tate house and the La Bianca house. While at the Bianca house, they lie to the person living there and get access to the house. While they end up going out to Death Valley to meet up with a guy, the lawyer thinks he is taking his brother there for a job, but no. They come to find out they are meeting up with some Manson followers, and the brother has been writing to Manson while he was in prison. We find out that brother is actually Manson's kid.
1: But hang on, they're brothers though. So do they oh, Well it must have been adopted.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah spoiler alert. Whoops. The lawyer freaks out and takes off. By the end of the movie, the brother goes to prison where Manson is there to meet him and the brothers make up. It is definitely not what I thought the movie was going to be about, but it was really good.
1: And it hmm. doesn't have Chevy Chase in it. No. no. I'm
2: glad you enjoyed it, Danielle. Anyway, guys, love the podcast and I don't think Tara swears nearly enough.
1: That's fucking true. <laughs>
2: Well, thank you, Danielle Mayday, for sending that in.
1: Thank you, Danielle.
2: And if you'd like to send in a true crime nerd time or a fake crime nerd time, (laughs) have a look at our our website for details on how to do that. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
1: So, Bonnie?
2: Yes, Tara.
1: I believe it's time for you to get murdery.
2: Justin Paul Cox was born on December 20th, 1982 in Penrith, New South Wales.
1: Hang on, his name's Justin. Is he a podcaster? Probably. Okay.
2: Because all podcaster, male podcasters are called Justin, Well,
1: 50% of
2: them. When he was seven, Justin and his family moved to the seaside haven of Naruma on the New South Wales south coast, about a five and a half hour drive from Sydney. It's a beautiful place. I looked it up. A yeah, population of about 3,000 beautiful beaches. Think you might move there? Because oh. that would be
1: nice for me if you did. Oh, that's
2: not nice. <laughs> Back to Justin. Justin, by all reports, was a good kid. He attended Warrington County Primary School and then Naruma Public School. But when he got to Naruma High School, that was where all his problems began. According to those who knew him at the time, Justin experienced learning difficulties. Some say because of dyslexia. Or maybe he was just an upstart, for he started to exhibit some major behavioural problems at high school. Justin was disruptive, got involved in fights, was defiant of teachers, and in his last two years his attendance was infrequent. He was described by one teacher as a little shit.
1: <laughs> what, on his school report card?
2: Yeah, probably. Probably. Justin was expelled in year nine after a physical fight with a teacher and throwing a table at a principal.
1: Oh, okay, that is little shit behaviour.
2: He then had a variety of menial jobs, mainly as a shop assistant, but he just couldn't seem to keep them. Justin did not believe the old adage, the customer is always right. He believed that the general public was a bunch of unreasonable, demanding morons and that they could all go and get fucked.
1: Actually, most people who work in retail do think that deep down. Yeah. In it's, fact, they don't think it, they know it.
2: Yeah, if you've worked in retail, you'd probably agree <laughs> with that. Justin particularly enjoyed dealing with customers that misread shit. He loved the times he was able to point out to customers the fact that they were too stupid to correctly read the signs. Justin loved being an asshole. His bosses didn't love it, though. Perhaps a career in retail was not ideal for a hot-tempered Justin.
1: No, you need to be able to hide the fact that you hate everyone when you work in retail.
2: you need to be able to hide the fact that your soul is being destroyed every day.
1: Yeah, with their stupid pissy demands and then smile.
2: That's right. At the age of 22, Justin met his partner, Rebecca Graham. Rebecca had two children from a previous relationship, a son and a younger daughter, Justin and Rebecca added to their family with a son born in 2005 and a daughter born in 2008. Justin loved his children and his stepchildren equally. Around the time Justin met Rebecca, he found his perfect job, working with his father in a waste management business. Initially, this was part-time, but eventually became full-time. He loved picking up garbage and moving it around.
1: Oh, big boys' toys? Did he get to use ah, some, like, He was bullshit? good
2: at it. He yeah. was really good at it too. He acquired skills operating machinery and driving bulldozers and front-end loaders.
0: Sweet.
2: This was work he found satisfying and he was well paid. Uh-huh. Things are looking up for Justin.
1: I'm so glad to hear that.
2: Yeah. You're just
1: building up to the crescendo so we can fall harder, aren't you? <sighs> That's
2: right. In 2006, Rebecca's son from her previous relationship was killed in an accident along with a playmate. This devastated Justin, who loved mm. his children and was a great father.
1: Oh God, it would. And strain the relationship, right?
2: Initially, the couple tried to continue their lives, but difficulties in the relationship arose from the grief and the stress they endured.
1: Yeah, that, that really happens a lot.
2: Well, Tara, they blamed themselves and each other, and they began to argue. Rebecca ended up leaving Justin in early 2007 and moved to Sydney. Justin responded with a serious suicide attempt. Being the manly man he was, Justin did not seek help for his mental health issues. He lost touch with Rebecca and his children and started to spiral. Justin believed the only good thing in his life was his job in the waste management business. But that too was on shaky ground. After developing an amphetamine habit and drinking heavily at home and on the job, he was fired.
1: Whoa, way to flame out hard, Justin. Mm. Time for that podcast to start.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Trying to get back on his feet, Justin held a number of jobs interspersed with long periods of unemployment. Eventually, he had some fortnightly counselling sessions with a psychologist, but due to money being tight, that only lasted for about four months. It was at this time Justin admitted to friends that although he had always had problems with his temper, they were now worse, and he found it harder to control his escalating anger, particularly if he had been on the piss. Between 2007 and 2008, Justin moved around a lot looking for work. He lived in Narooma, Canberra and Sydney. In 2008, he moved back to Narooma, where he moved in with a friend, Nathaniel Ray, who lived in a unit in a small block on Harbour Crescent. Things had bottomed out for Justin. At this time, he claims to have stopped caring about anything. Justin gave no fucks and drank heavily on a daily basis. He did not care if he lived or he died. He was no longer using drugs but appeared to have developed an obsessive compulsive disorder. That's not good.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's cute and quirky when it's on telly. But in real life, a bit more difficult to manage. Oh, it's
2: debilitating.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. But you notice they use it in a lot of TV shows like, he's quirky, she's a bit
2: quirky. Oh, he's got to tap his wallet three times before he leaves the room. Isn't
1: that cute?
2: No, it's debilitating. Yeah,
1: oh, for sure. It's awful.
2: Later, Justin told psychologist Dr Anita Duffy how he'd always been prone to outbursts of anger, which led to conflict at school. He claimed that he had learned to control himself in later years but conceded that he had less control when drinking. He revealed to Dr Duffy he had thoughts of harming himself during drunken outbursts of anger. He told her of an incident where he had hit a steel pole repeatedly until he broke some knuckles when drunk. Now Tara, all of this sets the scene for what happens next. Samuel Gadget Connolly was a 37-year-old Indigenous Australian man who lived in the unit next to Justin's friend, Nathaniel Ray.
1: I guess it's too much to hope for that he can go-go Gadget Arms.
2: No, he's it's, no, it's not that kind of Gadget.
1: Ah, not an inspector. Damn.
2: Justin met him when he moved in with Nathaniel, although Justin previously knew Gadget by sight. Justin did not care for Gadget. Right. Justin claimed that he tolerated Gadget, as a very interrupting and annoying drunk who would walk into their home unannounced and ask for beer or money.
1: Ah, Alco Kramer.
2: Yeah, (laughs) Alco Kramer. At some point, however, he had heard that Gadget had been evicted from a quarry mission at Wallaga Lake because he had sexually assaulted children. Though later, Justin admitted in court that he had no actual evidence of this, but the court accepted that he held this belief. Okay. On New Year's Eve 2008, Justin had been drinking during the day but not to the usual excess and not at all during the evening as he was babysitting his buddy Nathaniel's kid. So that's the nice thing to do on New Year's Eve so his buddy could go out. Yeah, that, that
1: is a nice thing to do. Bit of an AFD. Well, no, it's not really an alcohol-free day if you drank earlier. But, you know, for no. him it was one.
2: It was. Justin decided to make up for missing out on the New Year's Eve piss up the following day. When he decided to start his day at nine a.m. with brekkie beers,
1: oh yeah, that's I I haven't done that, but I have like even if I start, you know, Christmas party sort of twelve o'clock in the afternoon, it's still, you know, like by six, you're caned.
2: After a few at home, he trundled down to the pub when it opened at eleven a.m. Justin came home sometime late in the afternoon when he ran into Gadget, who was also very, very drunk. Unpleasant pleasantries were exchanged. (laughs) Afternoon, cunt, Gadget said. Go to hell, child fucker, Justin replied.
1: Oh, that's that's when good neighbours become good friends.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Justin then went to a nearby house where he continued to drink his feelings. Later, he received a call from Nathaniel, who told him that Gadget was at the front of his unit with a mob, threatening to attack him. Justin hurried back to the unit, where he found that Nathaniel had locked himself in and Gadget was outside calling out something, and there was no mob.
1: Oh, well, at least there wasn't a mob, because, you know, mob justice, that goes bad.
2: No, it does. There's pitchforks um, and torches.
1: Yeah, oh, it's the torches that bother me.
2: Well, Justin then challenged Gadget to a fight. Sir, are you a pugilist? For I am. Justin said.
1: I'm not sure that's his vocabulary. No, it, it
2: was more like, come on, cunt, let's punch on.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Now, Gadget respectfully declined.
1: Oh, no, thank you, but I'm very flattered by the invitation.
2: This is how Justin later described to police what happened. Little fucking pea hack got on his hands and knees on the ground because he wouldn't go me, but he'd go Nathaniel. I then proceeded to punch him in the face like the dog he was. Justin later admitted that he struck Gadget a number of times to the head and that he ended up with a cut to his own knuckles. The assault concluded with Justin saying to Gadget, You ever threaten my brother's life again, I will come and snap your fucking neck. Later police asked Justin to describe his own level of intoxication at this point and he replied, Fucking pissed. According to court documents, Justin then left and continued drinking somewhere that he could not recall.
1: Ooh, I've done a lot of things, but I haven't done that.
2: He returned to the flat in the early hours of the morning.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Amen.
2: He was accompanied by a mate, Graham Cox. Now that's no relation. These aren't the Cox brothers.
1: How many Cox did Graham have?
2: Twenty-two.
1: Fuck. Now, by the way, was Graham a dog?
2: No, Graham was not a dog. Okay. I know that's a dog's name. Yeah. So the Cox friends Mm -hmm. graham later told police that he noticed gadget laying on the couch inside his unit through the open front door justin proceeded inside nathaniel's flat where he smashed a few more beers but justin could hear gadget through the paper thin walls and that he was cursing and going off shouting about white people saying he's going to get a mob onto me and nathaniel Mm. justin challenged him again to a fight but gadget did not respond Justin then called him a pedophile and later claimed that Gadget admitted that he was one and said, Who fucking cares? Justin then heard Gadget slam the front door of his unit shut. Justin described to police what happened then. I then, in a blind rage, snapped, walked into Nathaniel's room, lifted his bed... Pulled out this huge fucking truck wrench. I climbed across the veranda. I pulled Gadget's screen off. I went through his open window and proceeded to beat him across the body while he laid in his couch. He then returned to Nathaniel's unit, washed the wrench and himself, and left. As he passed Gadget's unit, he saw through the window that he was not on the couch, and there was a light on in the bathroom. In other words, he understood Gadget to be alive. Oh, okay. Unbeknownst to Justin, he was to die an hour or two later. In his police interview, Justin provided further details of what happened. It was pitch black in Gadget's unit, but after my eyes had adjusted, I could generally make out where he was. As I approached Gadget, I was thinking he was a dirty fucking pedophile little faggot who stuck his dick in a kid. I was not aiming for any particular part of his body and did not know which parts I actually hit. I did not think I hit him in the head because it felt like I was hitting the upper body. I did not want to hit him in the head because I knew that would hurt. He agreed it was foreseeable that he could have struck Gadget's head and that it was also foreseeable that death or serious injury could result. He struck Gadget five to ten times and each time his body bounced about a foot off the couch. Although he was very, very intoxicated, he said that he realised what he was doing. Justin told police, I wanted to make him feel suffering like I have. When asked why he hurried away from the premises, he said, I was in a rage. I was skitsing out like, I don't know. I just, yeah, that's how I get sometimes. I don't know. Ever since my boy died, I get in his mood sometimes and I don't know what I do. I go overboard. Do you know what I mean? He also said that becoming angry when drinking had been happening to him a lot lately. Someone rolls me up. I just lose the plot. There's no explanation for it. At the end of the interview, when asked if there was anything further he wished to say, he said, Just that I regret it. I'm ashamed and I offer my own life if they want it. The interview with police took place at around midnight on the night of January 3rd, 2009. Justin had been arrested on the morning of January 2nd when he was still intoxicated. He had received legal advice and declined to be interviewed. However... He then made contact with the investigating officers and told them that he had changed his mind and would agree to answer questions. Justin claimed in his interview with Dr Duffy a few months later in September 2009 that one of the things that Gadget had called out shortly before he went to his unit and attacked him was Fuck you Cox, your daughter's next. He claimed that it was this that so enraged him. Police had been called out to the premises at about 8.30pm on January the 1st in response to a complaint by Gadget that someone had smashed the front window of his unit. He attributed this to those cunts next door, but as he did not see who did it, the police would take no action. It was noticed, however, that Gadget was intoxicated and difficult to understand. At about 10pm a lady who lived across the road called police to report that Gadget's neighbours were arguing with him and that they had pushed him over. Two officers attended. Justin and another person were identified as the likely perpetrators for what had occurred and it was intended that police would follow it up in the morning. A neighbour called an ambulance about 4am. When the officers arrived a very short time later they were told by a neighbour that Gadget had been assaulted about an hour earlier. The officers found Gadget sitting on the lounge in his unit. He was seriously injured and there was a lot of blood about, but he was described as being alert. Gadget was assisted downstairs to a waiting ambulance and there placed on a stretcher. At that point, he became agitated and then suddenly died. Resuscitation efforts failed. Professor Johan Dufleu, That's a real name.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right.
2: Forensic pathologist conducted a post-mortem examination from which he concluded that the cause of death was blunt force head and neck injuries. He noted multiple lacerations of the face, multiple fractures of the face structures, principally to the teeth and jaw, injury to the small bones of the neck, multiple rib fractures, and fracturing of the bones of the hands and forearms.
1: Oh, defensive wounds.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There were also numerous bruises and abrasions. Gadget's lungs were full of blood
1: He beat the living hell out of him He
2: really did Justin's plea of guilty Earned a discount on his sentence By 25% During sentencing His previous convictions were read to the court His criminal history consisted of Convictions for property damage Behaving offensively in public And having custody of an offensive Implement in public
1: What like a Nickelback t-shirt
2: That's <laughs> Yeah that's pretty offensive <laughs> Justin Paul Cox was sentenced to 18 years imprisonment with a non-parole period of 13 years and six months. Justin will be eligible for release on parole on July 1st, 2022. Samuel Gadget Connolly, well, his criminal history was included in the material tendered by the Crown. Now, this is this is a bit unusual for the victim's criminal history. Yeah, yeah perhaps it was because it shows that there is nothing in it that would support justin's belief that he was a pedophile
1: yeah wow that's just all really sad and messed up huh
2: it really is yeah
1: it's horrible too that like one of justin's kids died and and then he sort of in a way lost all of them
2: yeah, he had three other children. He should have been there for them.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, that's just not how it, it worked in his N- mind, I that's guess. That's not how
2: his brain worked, yeah.
1: Damn.
2: Tragedy all round.
1: Yeah, really, big time.
2: I have a question for you, Tara.
1: Uh, yes, they are real, and yes, they're spectacular. What?
2: No, it was, uh, what is Aussie as? I've heard of this thing. What is it? <sighs> okay.
1: Remember the last episode where we recorded with Cambo and then because I got you guys involved in the Aussie Az, I think uh, like I, for some stupid
2: reason thought you'd remember what it was? Well, Tara, that was our 100th episode. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, 100. It's a big deal. Of course I remember. I remember everything that happened that day.
1: Okay, so we did an Aussie As and do you remember what it was?
2: No. <laughs> oh,
1: God. <laughs> You're the worst. Aussie As are tales of criminal stupidity with a quintessentially Australian flavour.
2: Yeah, Still not familiar Tell me one
1: All righty. Now look I don't mean to come across all Seinfeld But what is the deal with gender reveal parties? I don't understand why people outside of the family Would be super interested Like I'm never going to get it And that's okay Because after this It's not like anybody's going to invite me to one Is it?
2: Well it's any party in particular Yeah really.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just anywhere Just fucking stay home well, I'll pay you Gender reveal parties seem to have become a thing around 2011. The trend of gender reveal videos began to emerge on YouTube in mid 2011 and continued to grow and grow in terms of views from then on. So it's kind of a recent thing. The early parties were pretty casual. There'd be cake and blue or pink balloons. But today some of them are intricately choreographed events. Couples are trying to communicate something about themselves and their interests and their their points of view. Like, for example, one couple arranged for the Ferris Wheel at the National Harbor in Maryland to light up in the color representing their baby's sex. Purple. Green. Oh. But not everybody is Ferris Wheel level classy.
2: Ah, this is where we get the Aussie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bring it on. I had
1: to sort of, you know, introduce the concept of Hang on,
2: it. just let me strap myself into yeah? this chair. Oh, you better. Oh, yeah. you better. Yeah, I want to feel the Gs.
1: Oh, you're gonna. A South Australian couple's gender reveal party took a very boganly dangerous turn after they ditched the traditional cake and balloons in favour of a car burnout that produced pink smoke. Oh, classy. I nearly camboed it then. A car burnout that produced pink yeah. smoke.
2: Fucking sick, bro.
1: In what has been dubbed the most bogan gender reveal ever, the couple decided to celebrate the news of their little baby girl by inviting friends and family to Meninji, which is 150 kilometres south of Adelaide, to watch the colourful burnouts. In video footage, people can be heard screeching with joy as pink smoke billows around the screaming car. Who the fuck are these people? But their joy was short-lived as the car burst into flames and thick black smoke filled the air. The South Australian police have reamed the couple for the gnarly stunt. Is
2: that the South Australian police? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did that on purpose just to oh. please you. It oh, okay. didn't work, did it? No. The South Australian police have reamed the couple for the gnarly stunt, stating that they could have sparked a bushfire and the public weren't too kind about it either.
2: Ooh, do tell.
1: One Facebook user said, Welcome to the world, little baby bogan girl. And another added, Want to prove to the world that you're a complete fucking bogan? Do a gender-reveal burnout. Maybe maybe chuck in some dollies. Not a good idea. In <laughs> fact, um, something like this happened in America and... Um, there was actually $11 million in damages and 200 people had to be evacuated from their homes. Oh, forest as far. Yeah, don't yeah. do fire shit when it's hot and things can burn. Just don't
2: do gender reveals. They're stupid.
1: Oh, look, I don't want to be that harsh because people really? already assume I am. Um, but, you know, uh, maybe safe stuff. What yeah. was wrong with the balloons and the cake? Yeah. I mean, come on.
2: Yeah, in a baby shower, everyone gets inappropriately drunk around a pregnant person. Yeah, yeah, no. while
1: she sits there fucking being like, well, it was fun at first and now I think I want a divorce.
2: Yeah, at least i got lots of presents.
1: Yeah, but still, everyone smells and I'm uh, so sick of it.
2: That was good. Was <laughs> it? <What? laughs> no, I liked it. I liked no, it. No, no. The it's
0: changed my voice.
1: Oh, my God, you sound mm. like a, a fucking geriatric crack whore. Sorry, geriatric crack sex worker.
2: Thank you. That's very nice of you to say that.
1: Yeah, because you know you wouldn't earn much out there, Barney. Well, what? <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, this ass is priceless, man. People would pay good money for my ass.
1: Mmm, I, I believe think if you If I want to sell it, which know. I don't.
2: I don't know. I don't have. I've got nothing. Shift
1: an ass to make a buck. That's well, the Barney
2: yeah, no, Black I've got, story. I've got to support two, three children now. I've got Laszlo here.
1: You do. This brings us to the end of the episode, but before we go, we'd like to thank some people who took the time to write us some good reviews. So thank you so much, Hannah Joshua Norris.
2: David Hammond.
1: Sandra Ray.
2: Mervyn Jones.
1: Kim Purple. Oh, we met her at the meetup. She's lovely. And her bub. Bubby Sam. And Sherry. Samantha Matt.
2: And Tamara Ann Myers-White. Thanks for listening and thanks to our patrons. If you'd like to support us, visit our website, or if you just want to buy us a drink because we're so thirsty, there's a PayPal donate button there too. And you know who's buying the drinks this week?
1: I believe it's Sarah Sithoff.
2: And Jake fuck, fuck Nasty. Yeah,
1: Fuck Nasty, <laughs> my mate Jake. Thank you so much, Sarah thanks. and Jake.
2: Yeah, thanks for buying our drinks. We're enjoying them right now, actually, because we, well, it's, it's hot as balls here.
1: Ah, oh, I know. It's so crazy hot, man. We're, we're, we've been in winter forever and we forgot how to do summer.
2: I've been Barney Black.
1: And I've been Tara Saravan. And
2: this is Bloody Murder.
1: Please don't forget to review us on iTunes or our Facebook page.
2: And, of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us.
1: Follow us on Twitter, Facebook group or page, Snapchat and Instagram.
2: Check out our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com for news, galleries, more episodes and merchandise. We've added a new product to our merchandise, Bloody Murder Leggings. Oh,
1: I can't wait to get my
2: pair. They're so good. Hey, baby, that murder goes all the way up to your ass.
1: Yeah, that's, that, it does. And yeah. it's like even above it and like up to your waist. Do you want
2: to start with Roger Rogerson on your toes and have... Travis a Chimp near your crotch
1: yeah I was going to say did you put Travis right in the crotch region because I would rock a Travis crotch what (laughs) am I even saying anymore Trashy
2: thanks for listening
1: thanks for listening and we'll be back soon
2: goodbye and adios
1: and keep kicking against the pricks
2: so Tara we've got a new member of our family
1: I know Slow, he's the cutest
2: little kitten so i have to tell our listeners how i presented our new kitten to mm-hmm. my to, to my two sons they got dressed ready to go to school i made them lunches driving them to school i said we're not going to school today <laughs> oh
1: smooth
2: and i said where are we going i said it's and i took him to the cat protection society and we got a new kitten
1: and how did you pick him?
2: Well, he picked us. We wanted to get a girl kit, but all the girls didn't like it. Well, little... I mean, it's kind of like normal Oh, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> this, this little boy who's wandering around my feet right now, he's trying to bite my toes, he uh, just put his paw up on the window and started um, purring. They had, they had the intercom on in
0: the room, and they kept lying that it wasn't on, and they were using sonic pressure
1: on my head since 1997
2: he went hey baby he said hey he said hey baby shit in a bucket i'm yours
1: he did. and uh yeah
2: and he was just all over us and he uh, look i think i got the best one
1: i think you did he is so friendly and like up for a pat bit of a snuggle purrs like a dream oh,
2: he's a good boy he's all he uses his litter box very good boy he's a very good boy but he's not all good no no you look in his eyes there's a glint there He's a wild card
1: Oh he's up to mischief. Oh, yeah. In fact he's about to Jump he's into cute. my purse
2: He's cute He will fuck your shit up though
1: He's kind of got A foot fetish too
2: Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> And uh, Laszlo It actually came to me In a dream about a year ago mm-hmm. That's true I said, next cat I'm going to get is going to be called Laszlo. I feel like
1: it was longer than a year, but maybe well, just because you know. I hang
2: out with you too often. Well, yeah, they not, yeah, too much. Anyway, probably. he's
1: beautiful, and he's the head of uh, research and development for Bloody right. Murder. Well,
2: Poppy's the head of security. I, well, I yes,
1: she will keep everyone out of our house, including you, though, which is not
2: cool. Well, yes, that's right.
1: I told her to though.
2: Why would <laughs> you do that?
1: Just to fuck your shit up.
2: Hey, that was fun today. You know, we only do this every two weeks now. So. Yeah, it's
1: so weird, isn't it? Yeah. It's like there's actually time to do things And well, I'm not used to feeling really ha- that way
2: I, You know, I have a job I can get things done now And not have to do them half-assed I can do some of my normal duties fully assed now
1: Yeah, look, it's important to put your whole ass into it Even oh, if yeah. you have a big ass like me You still should put all of it in Ah, uh, it's not
2: that big I've seen bigger
1: Yeah, well, not on you You get a little tiny frog bottom Oh,
2: my pants fall down all the time They I- do <laughs> He's I got a no, frog bottom. I mean, I've got a bit of a gut, but I've got no hips, man.
1: Mm-hmm. You can the, still wear 10-year-old ten, boy's shorts.
2: I can. Well, how about these jorts, though?
1: Oh, how Rocking about it. those jorts? These
2: jorts have authentic battle damage.
1: Yeah, it looks like like someone you know? spooged on him and then rubbed no, it in no, with a I fork. No, no, They've
2: got a little bit of, you know, decay Spooge on them. Spooge fork. Hey, it's trendy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, I've com- I've I've completely turned into Mrs. Krabapple by this point. Really?
2: <laughs> Do people even say trendy anymore?
1: No. I no. mean, oh, look, it's
2: on point with the kids, you know. I I, I what? Maybe I'll-
1: saying on point would be good. It's totally on point. They're incredibly fierce. I don't know. It's don't fashionable, man.
2: I've got swag and all that.
1: Oh geez, no, that's like a year or so ago. That. Oh minute. really? Yeah. I don't even know how to say what's
2: cool, so I just don't. Hey, I just talk about neggy shit. Sorry, I have to take this call. Oh, hello, Taylor Swift. <laughs> um, you want to know what's cool? Well, I am.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, like spoogey fork yeah, imprints on your jorts I, cool, Taylor Well, that's Swift. how I
2: answer the phone. Hey, baby.
1: No, tell them how you really do it.
2: Uh, buenos tardes, señorita.
1: And the way you used to do it?
2: Dreamy time, escorts.
1: That was it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had titty sweat in a while. <laughs> no, seriously. I haven't had like the boob uh, sweat thing run down your stomach.
2: Yeah. Look how long the cat is. Look how long Laszlo is. He's stretched right out because he's so hot. He's really cute. He's like at least four metres long, yet he's a 10-week-old <laughs> kitten.
1: <laughs> he's like 30 centimetres. Jesus. I heard men can't measure right. They tend to overestimate.
2: Well, I uh, what I tie mine in a knot, uh, my kitten, because <laughs> he's so long. Slut. What? It's all right. I did it far, far enough away.
1: That what? Could... <laughs> <Like> We're that... <laughs> pro-slut here, mister. We're uh? into sh- slut celebrating, not slut shaming. It should have been slut. <laughs> slut. Yeah, like that. Like, yeah. If you want to do that, go for it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. We don't care. It's not like we have to wash your sheets.
2: That's funny. That's why women stay with me, because I'm freakily obsessive.
1: Freakily obsessive about computer games and, like, your kids and ham sandwiches. (laughs) What? I
2: I like other stuff. Like what? Cats.
1: Yeah, okay, cool. I think we've got it all.
2: True crime, sometimes. (laughs) Richie and... (laughs) Strawberry milkshakes. Oh, no, I shouldn't have said that.
1: That's it. I'm out of here. You don't have to keep doing this on your own. And from now on I'm gonna speak like this because I think it sounds like I'm a drunk woman who wears trousers in the nineteen forties.
2: I say everything with my ass.
1: I can say anything I wanna say with my sweaty, sweaty underboob.
2: That's pretty funny.
1: I know. Like it's um I, I, it's romantic.
2: It's romantic. I once had two girlfriends at the same time mm-hmm. when I was like seventeen.
1: Yeah, I think you were a little older than that, but anyway.
2: Well, no, I'm saying it's a while ago. Yeah. You know, ten years ago, or so, uh, <laughs> when I was seventeen, t- <laughs> and I was meant to meet one at this pub, but the other one was there as well, Mm-mm. and and then I you know I didn't see them arrive, and then I noticed them both of them talking to each other, and then and then they looked over to me, and they had the spatula, look both of them,
1: and you scampered and climbed a tree.
2: No, I just went ah, oh, it's going to happen, and they came over and they gave me like a serve and stuff.
1: Good, good and- on them. You're being a dick.
2: And then one of them um, went away and then came back. She had a jug of beer and she poured it over my head.
1: (laughs) Wow, she spent money on that. I would have got a jug of water. I wouldn't have spent, you know, what, at the time, 10 bucks on you? God, no.
2: So I I got drunk after that. I just really drank a lot. You
1: just sat there covered in beer getting drunk.
2: And then I got thrown out because I was covered in beer (laughs) and drunk. And hitchhiked home, and never saw them to, never saw the two of them again.
1: And this is what has made you the man you are today. Well,
2: no, it was a terrible thing I did. I deserved it, absolutely. But I was seventeen. This guy's in his bloody twenties now. Yeah, isn't early twenties. You, you should know that shit by then.
1: <laughs> nice story, though. I like yeah, it. Did
2: you like that? I did That's a, true a lot. I'm sure there was lots of illustrations of unicorns too.
1: Oh, I think there's just mostly. I am so great. I am so handsome boy, I'm amazing, no one thinks like me. And then, like, nonsensical, I've synergised backward, hypothetical, overflow heterosexuality Mm. to make me the um, stroganoff that I am.
2: Dear diary, I drew the most perfect mould today (laughs) and I got an extra five inches out of packing shit into my boots.
1: Dear diary, I was in the mirror looking at myself and a picture of Elvis Presley and I decided that I'm more handsome. The judge took pity on poor Richie and said that he wouldn't send him to jail if he'd agree to leave town until he got over his infit- his infituation.
2: His infituation? <laughs> ah, sneaky fucking prawns, eh? I
1: need to sneeze.
2: That's, that's not in the script.
1: Yes, evil did have a name and its name was... James. No, his name was Joseph. Who would have thunk that evil had the same name as Jesus' dad? Weird, right?
2: Yeah. Jesus' dad name was James?
1: Joseph. It's actually Joseph James D'Angelo.
2: Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I get that now.
1: Yeah. Evil Joe. That's so what did they you, call him. Evil Joe.
2: Did you snort? No, I didn't snort. It was, was just that, a sneeze. Was that the first start of summer?
1: Um, no. <laughs> I, I think I sweated so much I couldn't possibly snort if I tried. Hey,
2: is, is it true that if you put your finger on your nose, you won't sneeze?
1: Yeah, I have tried that. You know when you're hiding out and there's like bad guys and you have to like not sneeze and you're in a pepper factory and then if you put your finger there and maybe shut your eyes. But if you want to sneeze, you have to look into the light and that'll do it.
2: How many times have you been in a pepper Pepper
1: factory hiding from bad guys it happens more than you would actually think 12 12 hmm. yeah, at least a dozen, possibly more. Are well, you better? <laughs> I actually feel that like our friendship is based on me smelling your farts in some kind of weird Stockholm syndrome way. I well, come to love them and I worship them well, and I just want to rob banks for them.
2: Well, you don't want to smell them but no yeah
1: but but I can't live without them.:
2: Oh you like them now?
1: No, I don't. But I love them. Oh, but I don't love them right, and I'd like to be set free. It's
2: like a drug addiction, you know. Oh, really? You, it's you,
1: Stockholm Fartrum.
2: Yeah, you want to get your life together and fly straight, but you just can't because you're just addicted to Barney's Pops.
1: Yeah, Yeah, sounds true, doesn't it?
2: Around the time Justin met Rebecca, no, that's the same paragraph. Mm,
1: yeah, still a doctor, still a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> From mine earlier. Her father was still a doctor. His
2: father was still a doctor? <laughs> <laughs> Initially, the, no, that's another paragraph.
1: <laughs> <laughs> are the words dancing on the page? The words
2: are dancing on the page.
1: Well, well we shouldn't have taken the acid until after we were finished recording, yes.
2: Mr. Walrus. Well, indubitably, why, have your, why has your head turned into a fish?
1: I really enjoy the fact that you have octopus arms well, and there's more than eight of them.
2: Well, I've got a job out the front of a, a, a car, car sales lot.
1: A job out the front of a car. You know, I'm one of those blowy stink tube things. I
2: love those fucking things.
1: Yeah, I like how their arms waggle. (laughs) (laughs) It was just like, like it landed as though it was meaningful, and it really wasn't.
2: I loved it. Do it again. Rebecca ended up leaving Justin in early 20th 25th. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, woo! <laughs> Wee! <laughs> oh, I've got nothing. My bum is leaking and my face is melting. Oh,
1: so now that you're the one doing the reading, are you just bathed in sweat? Oh
2: my god, it's fucking 120,000. I know I, I thought am... I was
1: going to die before. We are
2: recording from hell.
1: Yeah. Satan, Satan's Oh, he keeps forking me in the oh, butt his, with his pitchfork.
2: I'm, I'm lying into Satan's butt crack right now.
1: Oh, that looks kind of comfy.
2: Well, it, it looks comfortable, but it's not. You it would think, be
1: nice on a winter's you'd day. you think
2: I would dig it, but I don't.
1: No, no, you, you don't. It's like a Bosch painting.
2: <laughs> don't they make dishwashers?
1: Oh, yeah, different. Not Hieronymus, though. Hieronymus Bosch makes paintings of, like, you oh, know, yeah. the gates of hell and weird, like, birdie egg creatures.
2: Yeah, yeah. Rebecca ended up leaving Justin in early 2000. I can't say 2007 now.
1: Yes, she can. I believe in you. Believe in you. Believe in you. Believe in you.
2: I love to see the pages float away
1: oh, Nice one, you like my, cunt
2: Like my hopes and dreams
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you could ever see them clear as plain it's type in the first
2: Like month. my friendship with Tara well, a, a thing
1: that long expired Long
2: expired, long ago It's fleeting, it's it's like poo leaking out of my ass
1: Oh, and you're the one who's classy And I'm the one who's trashy but, I can, I can see know, it now Maybe talking about poo leaking out of an anus is actually considered classy these days.
2: Well, you know, it was a metaphor. For what? For you. And it's completely accurate, I think. Really? Yeah.
1: (laughs) I'm just going to let that go. You know what? Whatever.
2: Oh, really? Smoke bomb. I'm out of here.
1: Nah, no, I'm going to stick around to watch you sweat.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, it's nothing better than pulling up to a car accident and just watching it unfold isn't it
1: girl i'm gonna watch barney sweat sweat till he can't sweat no more it's the worst song it's the what worst do
2: you think song. laszlo he's asleep
1: yeah well you're boring Wise. justin <laughs> sorry
2: <laughs> he returned to the union U- union
1: yeah well he's a union guy all there's right a, yeah. probably called justin
2: well, he is called Justin.
1: Oh, fuck. I, I forgot <laughs> that this guy was actually called Justin. Yeah,
2: he's got, he's got cocks. He's got more than one cock. He's cocks, oh, Justin Cox.
1: plural cocks. How many do you, did he have? Twelve. Where were they?
2: Between his legs. All of them? All of them. Oh, there was three on his back too. How so did that,
1: he walk?
2: Well, Carefully.
1: Like a crab <laughs> Touched for the very first time
2: Oh, is that what that song is? Like a crab <laughs> Yeah, yeah it is Walking sideways
1: In the brine <laughs> Well,
2: wow, that was pretty stupid, I liked it
1: Yeah, yeah, it was very dumb
2: He returned to the union Union? Oh, he, you're a fucking unit
1: You're a fucking union
2: That doesn't help
1: me Oh, am I supposed to help you? Yeah, by saying unit. Unit.
2: Unit. 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 Unit.
1: Make it with your mouth. Unit. Unit. Okay, just think of it this way. Barney, you're a fucked up unit.
2: Oh, well, I've, I've heard that before.
1: I know. So surely now that will help you say it.
2: He returned to the union. What happens now?
1: This brings us to the end of the episode.
2: That's you. It's red. Oh, Fuck. <laughs> Yeah, is your face red like this fucking type? Uh, is it your ass be red when I spank it? Even... Oh, that uh, came out wrong.
1: No, gross. By oh, the way, I no. was about to follow that up with even my nipples are red. Like, what is wrong? Uh, <coughs> even my elbows are crimson.
2: Well, look, I think... Ugh. I think let's just pretend that this never happened.
1: It's like we're in we a both fucking sweat lodge in Satan's ass crack. Like, seriously, we need to end this episode before we both die.
2: Yeah, I agree. I've
1: never sweated so much from the face.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.